This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. Standing up in front of a bunch of people and giving a presentation doesn't come naturally to anyone, but there are some things you can do to at least make it seem like you were born to do this. Today, we're talking about presentations. Today's episode is brought to you with support from Peterson Aluminum Corporation. Hi, everyone. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. So we're going to be talking about what it means and how you can find success when you stand up in front of a bunch of other people and talk. Because everybody loves doing that. My favorite. Obvious sarcasm. Unlike most professions, architects are fairly accustomed, I think, to standing up in front of a group of people and publicly speaking. I mean, it's what we do for five or six years when we're in architecture school. At a minimum. But that doesn't mean they like it. Or even worse, that they're any good at doing it. Mm. The concern going through, I think, almost everyone's head before they get up in front of a group of people, at least based on my personal experience, is that they'll look stupid, sound stupid, or generally come across as someone who shouldn't be talking about whatever it is they're currently talking about. And if that's you, the good news is that you're not alone. I talk in front of people a lot, and I consider myself many things, most of which I should be medicated and seeing a licensed therapist about. But public speaking is not something that I struggle with, at least not any longer. Well, what do you mean? Why not any longer? Well, when I started writing the blog a long time ago, it's the same kind of concern that you're putting yourself out there in such a way that people are going to see you for who you really are. And you're going to be exposed for, I don't know, not measuring up to what somebody else's standards are, or you're not as bright or clever. You know, it's like that phrase goes, better to keep your mouth shut and let people think you're an idiot than to open it and remove all doubt. Yeah. Same kind of thing. So when I started writing the blog, there was a huge concern over like, how dumb am I going to look when I do this? Yeah. As it grew in popularity and I started finding success, a lot of people wanted me to talk about it and asked me to be the MC at their design gala. I mean, I started talking and presenting to anywhere from 50 to 200 people several times a year. Yeah. And I didn't love it. You got to get over being really nervous about that, though. Yeah. And I don't know a good way to put it without spending more editorialized internal brain time on this, but I kind of became more glib because the more that I did it, the more that I realized that people are like me and they have the same concerns. Most people generally are rooting for you. I mean, I root for people. When I sit in a room and somebody's presenting, I'm not looking to giggle at how ridiculous they are. Or be like, oh, I hope this guy's the worst. Yeah, nobody wants that. Right, I know. At worst, they're indifferent to what you're doing. So they want you to be good. Everybody Mm -hmm. wants you to be good. Yeah. And if you're not good, they just want you to not suck. If there's 100 people in the room, my wife gave me this information once. She goes, if there's 100 people in the room, maybe a dozen are going to love it. I mean, like you really hit the chord with them. Yeah. And about five or six are going to think that was a complete waste of time. Like they actually paid attention and got nothing from it and think worse of you. Mm -hmm. The other 84 people, they just want you to not be terrible. Mm -hmm. That's not a very, yeah. that's not a high bar. Yeah, it's a bar's pretty low. So over the years of doing all this, I've just made my peace with, I'm going to stand up here and it's going to be okay. And if I do bad, most people don't really care. Mm -hmm. So apathetic. Well, I mean, right. to the listener, but how I've then assigned that apathy on their behalf yeah. <laughs> in my in my mind. So generous of you. Yeah. So generous of you. I'll tell you, I still, when I'm preparing, 
uh, to give a presentation, I practice. I kind of script it out and I go through it over and over and over again so that it doesn't sound like I've memorized a script. You know, it's one of the things we'll talk about. I try to learn the information so well that I can extemporaneously talk about it without having to say, and at this moment we did blah, blah, blah. Like it's so scripted, it sounds robotic. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed a lot of architects do this. I use a lot of graphics. And my wife would say, and you can actually do this research on the internet because that's where all good information comes from. Every bit of it. It's all true. That you should have like a certain number of PowerPoint slides like if you're giving an, an hour-long talk, you should have nine PowerPoint slides. Anything more than that, and it's just, you know, it's too much. People can't process it. A, I don't believe that's true with the demographic that I'm typically talking to. I think graphics are what they want. Mm -hmm. It helps. It helps keep them engaged and, you know, at least kind of paying attention. Mm -hmm. But it's the visual clue that I get about what I'm supposed to be talking about. That's how I use my graphics. It's a visual device for you to remember, this is what I'm talking about now. Yeah, yeah this is my point. The, yeah, your visual script almost. Yeah, so I want to say, when I used to get asked to give all these presentations, I tried to come up with like a brand new presentation every single time, and it was killing me. Yeah, I mean, I remember I was, that. I was doing like 10 a year, and I'd try to make them all special and unique, and, and because of the way that I do my graphics, I might, for an hour-long presentation, I might have 75 slides. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of graphics. And I'm trying to remember what it is I'm supposed to talk about. Like, I know the information inside and out. But I tend to go down my, my own rabbit holes. And I'll forget <laughs> what my point was. No. Is I remembered something else amazing that <laughs> yeah, I wanted yeah. to talk about. I can't ever believe that happening. Man. So my experience, just as an evolution from the blog to giving presentations in front of a room of people, just in the last 11 years, went from probably mediocre at best. I was always okay you know, I was never panic stricken. I wasn't that person. Mm -hmm. But I went from this is agony. I would never do it. This is the worst thing ever to I can do it. And generally the feedback is that was worth my time. And I think that has as much to do with delivery as it does content. I think definitely. I mean, I've been to many conferences and presentations in the past 10, 15 years as well. Somebody could be telling me something I already knew, but as long as they were doing it in an entertaining way, then it was good. Yeah, I don't mean jokes. They don't have to tell jokes. No, that's what I'm saying. I just mean something that's going to keep you alive, and it is not like a very monotone. I'm reading from a inside. Well, the worst is if they're well. And, no, what's know. way worse than that is if they just read what's on the PowerPoint slide. Oh well, yeah. Like you go, I read that. By the time you got through like the second sentence, I'd already internally read that. You saying it out loud is doesn't help. Agony. You can kind of skip over some of that and give me some supporting information. And that's your reminder, your visual cue of what you're supposed to be saying. But the people that put the slides up and they just kind of read what's on that slide, just kill me. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be a part of that. I think I had someone I started presenting like that. I mean, because, you know, I do not school presentations, but professional yeah. presentations. And I think it took me a while to get a little bit better at it where I wasn't reading a lot. Granted, a lot of stuff I do is very technical, but yeah. or it was, but still, it's just being able to get past the being nervous about it. Well, I think a big part of it's just practice. Talk. Yeah. That's all it is. So there are a few tips and techniques that I've picked up along the way that I think have made the process a lot easier for me. And I thought I would share them with everyone today. And regardless of the number of people you need to address or form in which you are presenting, knowing just a couple of these things can virtually guarantee that you will look like you were supposed to be there. Like it was not a mistake to choose you to present. To stand up in front of everybody and talk. Number one, stage presence. 
And by that, I mean, try to be comfortable in your own body. Meaning like, if you aren't a suit and tie person, don't pick presentation day to put on a suit and a tie. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because you're already going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And movement is important. Too often a prop like a lectern is available and the impulse to stand behind it and lock your hands down in a death grip on the sides is overwhelming. And you can tell when people are kind of freaked out because they use that lectern like a shield between them and the audience. Yes. And they put their hands on the side. And I go, even if you're flapping Moving them around, your hands around yeah. even that's better. If you like move from the left-hand side of the lectern over to the right-hand side, maybe leaned on it instead of just like locking it in dead center. Even little moves like that can make a huge difference. You got to be comfortable in your own skin and with what you're doing. If you're going to be forced to wear a suit, wear a suit a lot before you have. It's just yeah, like everything else, practice, right? It's wear a suit for a couple of days and make yourself more comfortable. Did you ever stand in front of a mirror and say things like, "Hi, I'm Andrew Hawkins." Hi, I'm Andrew, Andrew Hawkins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How are you? I'm Andrew. Like you know, you just kind of not necessarily that because I out, think that's kind of yeah. weird. Yeah, but... I know what you're trying to get at. Yeah, but the idea that you go through a process and you watch yourself, because it's it's really different to watch yourself give a presentation than for you just to say it out loud as you're pacing in your bedroom or something. I mean, but even that's a step, but sure. Well, I think the clothes kind of, and that being comfortable in your own skin, that's just setting the table for success. It's always easy to tell kind of the people who are and who aren't. I think it's not that difficult as a viewer to be like, oh, that guy really doesn't want to be doing this or... Yeah. She would rather be somewhere else or, you know. Yeah, you know, you don't really see that. It's kind of based on the room size. Like, I don't think I've ever seen somebody stand up in front of a room of two or three or 400 people. And I looked at them and go, this is new to them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. For that, sure. that almost never happens. No. But the number of times I'm sitting in a classroom and there's like 30 to 60 people. Mm-hmm. And that person is like flop sweating. You know, yeah. You're like, man, this must have looked so much better on paper. Yeah. Which it had to have because it. Got me to go. Yeah. Like it's a topic I'm interested (laughs) in. Yeah. But oh man. Well, some of the things that I want to make sure that are clear, if people are listening to it, these aren't just professional presentations. You know, you might work in a place or just, you're not that person that's ever going to be the person that stands up in front of a group of people. and talk. I mean, most people don't quite honestly. When I worked at the biggest firm that I was in, if there were 120 people in the room, maybe 10 of them talked to groups of people larger than like, and they weren't employees, like going in and giving a presentation to a client, to a client, yeah. you know, being able to articulate your thought with some momentum and some velocity and direction to it. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of people that I worked with at that firm would never be in that position. Very few people have to do it, but depending on where you work and the size of the firm in which you work, I mean, you're just as likely to have to do have that to do at it, some sure. point. And truth is, you, you want to develop the skill set that puts you in the room where people are talking. But these are also tips for, like, if you're still in school and you're giving a presentation on your project. Same kind of idea. Yeah, for sure. Right, which I do think is funny because you, since you teach, and I've sat in at least on one of your end-of-the-year reviews, mm-hmm. people dress up for those Yeah, final, they do sometimes. Yeah, they try to. Which I find kind of amusing I mean, it's better than them looking like... They haven't slept in four days. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to clean yourself up. Exactly. But some of the kids they put on, you're like, oh, it's like they're going to somebody else's graduation (laughs) right after this presentation. It's kind of funny. And I always thought, I I was never that person. Did you ever do that? 
No. I mean, I would make sure I went home and showered and stuff, but it wasn't like I'd put on any super nice clothes. I might, yeah. I might wear a button-down shirt, but that would be as far as it was going to go. Maybe just bump it up enough to where it shows that you're serious and yeah. taking this moment with the sort of respect that it might deserve as opposed to just a general Wednesday afternoon presentation. I mean, I don't think I ever gave a presentation like shorts and flip-flops and t-shirts. Yeah, I never did that regardless of when it was. Well, me neither, but I mean. So, so let's talk about motivation. That's another one that's on this, That if I were to silo these off. So motivation, which is you need to identify to yourself the objective of your presentation. Essentially, what's the big idea? And Andrew, you and I have talked about this a number of times, and it's particularly apparent in a lot of the student yeah, presentations. School projects, yes. I'm not going to sit here in my ivory tower and say what I know and what I figured out now is the same as what I knew and had figured out when I was in school. I didn't get the idea of the big idea. I'm sure everyone kind of knows it. It's like not a foreign concept, but actually put it into action. I'd say the vast majority of students that I see, and I'm not, I'm not saying your students specifically, but like when I see younger people present, the number of them that don't have, at least don't either don't have the big idea or can't articulate that big idea is the majority. I would agree. And the funny thing, you say that, I mean, we've talked about it a lot, but I think that it's hard for them to grasp the idea or the big concept idea because they're at this stage, you're full of like 8 million ideas. And so it's like, well, I've only got one project or two projects this semester. How many of my ideas can I pack in and see what the response is? Right. In the student work, there's that sort of aspect to it that it's just hard for them to grasp that bigger picture idea like you can. Well, I always think it's kind of like telling a story. And this is not really an, an analogy that I ever hear used when people are giving presentations in architecture school. You're telling a story. The reason why I think that that's important is because this is the device that can help identify to you whether or not you're on the right track. Think of the, the, your ideas as characters in this story that you're telling. At a certain point, you go, there's too many people in the story. Like mm-hmm. nobody, no, Nobody's going to know what's going on. Yeah, I've been talking about 15 people. Yeah, we just want to kind of... It's a book with wizards in it, and there's a there's a dragon and a boy who becomes a hero and saves the community. All right, that's the big idea. Mm-hmm. Not well, four generations removed, this guy betrothed of that woman, and you're like, oh, no, not no, yeah, it's too much. I'm putting out. <laughs> well, it's not that you're putting out. I I punt out. Well, it depends on the I guess on the presentation. Sometimes I do, but sometimes I don't. Well, that's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that. Sometimes it does. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say we elevate this from a student presentation to a professional presentation, and we still use the same kind of tell a story. I still think it's important because if you want people to listen to what you're saying, and that's kind of the point of a presentation, you want to give them something to connect with. That might be difficult for some people, but since I'm already prone to hyperbole, I try to tend to make that a strength in my own presentations. I think telling a story personalizes the information. Like it's not, you're just not reading facts. Mm-hmm. Wrap it up in some kind of narrative. It could be a narrative of facts, but still some sort of story about how it all works and comes together. It's like a teaching tool. When I tell my daughter, hey, you shouldn't stay up late. I might have like a story that has like a cause and effect to staying up late. And I know I got a comment once that sometimes I take my sweet time to make my point. Sometimes that is the point, taking my sweet time. <laughs> Okay, the next thing on my list that I've put together to help you with your presentation techniques 
and this one, maybe it should have been the first thing on the list. You need to know your topic. It could. That's one of the most important, the most important. Yeah. And, and, well, Unless it ha- you're it happens before. It, well, it happens before <laughs> that moment. This yes. is this is you getting ready for the Prepared. moment. Knowing your topic. Sincerity is key when presenting. And obviously, the more you know about your topic, the more believable you're going to be to the people that are listening to you. And this can be achieved by actually knowing everything that there is to know about. I mean, that's a little unlikely. Obviously, nobody's going to know everything, but it's your project. It's your presentation. You're the one delivering the information. Yeah. You should know it better than somebody else does. That's why you're giving it. And in some cases, that's why they ask you to do it, because you're supposed to know more than everybody yeah. else. Well, even if you don't, you need to know enough to where it comes across that you're sincere. You didn't just go to Wikipedia and look up, regurgitate the first couple of paragraphs on whatever your topic is that you're supposed to cover. Uh, it's every other word. Oh, you, that's, just, that's what it is? <laughs> yeah, it's just every other word. You need to keep your presentation focused on the areas that you're most comfortable speaking. This simply means that instead of trying to learn all 100 things about whatever it is you're talking about, learn 10 things, but learn those 10 things extremely well and know everything there is to know about those 10 things. That will make a big difference. And that kind of ties back into the last one that we just got through talking about, which was the... Telling your story. Your big idea. Yeah. You might have 100 things that you've done, 100 gestures that you've made. But you're only going to focus on 10 of them. Well, those are the 10 main characters. Doesn't mean that you don't have 90 others, but that's not what we're here to talk about those 90. Yeah. Well, you just don't have time. Yeah. So if you only have time for 10, start with the biggest 10. Yes. Focus on those. Yes. So. Good advice. Life of an Architect will be back in just a moment. Sitting in with me today is renowned cultural prodigy, Kate Borson, who also happens to be my daughter. Hi, Kate. How you doing? Being awake at 9 a.m. on a Saturday, I think I'm doing pretty good. You excited about helping me out today? I'm as excited as I can be. Great. So we're just sitting here talking architecture, and I have a question for you. Do you like modern buildings or traditional buildings more? I like modern buildings that aren't all up in your face. I get that. <laughs> what do you think of buildings that have metal on them? Are they more cool or less cool? They're more cool. Right. And Peterson makes the sort of metal panels that makes buildings more cool. Peterson manufactures pack-clad architectural roof and wall cladding products in multiple gauges of steel and aluminum and in 45 standard colors. Products include roll-form panels, coil, or sheet, which can be perforated in multiple hole sizes and patterns for architectural flair. Smart. Pack-clad Highline series of metal wall panels features varying rib patterns and widths for creative architectural effects in commercial, institutional, residential, or other applications. Highline panels can be perforated for bold aesthetics or application as equipment screens and can be installed horizontally or vertically. Metal panels do make buildings look better, especially if you like your buildings to appear clever. You know how I go to a lot of conventions every year? Yeah. One of the reasons I like attending trade shows and conventions is that I can speak with pack-clad experts at many trade shows throughout the year. Coming up, you can visit Peterson at the Pacific Coast Builders Conference, the American Institute of Architects Expo, the Western Roofing Expo, the Florida Roofing and Sheet Metal Contractors Expo, the Custom Residential Architects Network Symposium, MetalCon, the Texas Society of Architects Expo, and the Midwest Roofing Contractors Association Expo. How many of these do I get to go to? Um, we'll need to discuss that with your mother. To learn more about Peterson and their products and services, please visit www.pack-clad.com. That's P-A-C-C-L-A-D dot com.
how to present. It's a nice silo. This that seems kind of how to present. That's what we're talking about. Well, not just like, like, how do you present your information? Not like, what do you wear and how do you practice? And I'm talking about literally the tools that you use to give your presentation. Oh, like the hardwares, the technologies, the standards. Not necessarily, because I don't want to tell people, like, for instance, I used to use PowerPoint. And then you said, oh, you can, I use InDesign and I can put it on my iPad and I can just swipe it. Yeah. There are things about that that I love. But I don't want to make this a that kind of technical of a post. No, I know. What I mean is... There's a couple of different ways you can do it. You can have a manuscript, which basically you write out a script and you follow it. You memorize it. Yeah, that's a, would be my least favorite. Yeah, those are always the worst ones. Yeah, because it's... yeah. Just print it out and hand it to everybody yeah, at that point. Exactly. You could have the outline, which is really like what you see in most PowerPoints. They put up a slide, it's got a topic, and you get five drop-down bullets. And then when they segue to the next topic, you get another slide with another topic on it and five more bullet points. Yeah. Another one that I don't like, but... You can at least say, here's my bullet point, and then I supplement that with additional, additional information so I'm not just reading off of my slide. All right? I think that's a pretty easy way to do it. Extemporaneous, which is not too dissimilar from using a PowerPoint, but it's the idea you're not putting up bullet points anymore. You might just be putting up a graphic to support what your comment is, and then you tell the whole narrative of the point of whatever, what that graphic represents, represents. or supports. Sure. But you're not having to write out, partial sentences and bullet points to remind you this is the process that I go through. Yes. The last one that's on that list is improvisation. And that's when you know the topic so well that you can weave in and out and out of order and go down rabbit holes and you still end up where you're Make supposed to end back. up. Those are people, the only time I see anybody doing improvisation is people that give, that's their job is to give presentations. Mm-hmm. and they do it several times a week. They might even give the same presentation several times a week. Those people can improvise because they know what the script is so well that they can go off script and still end up and hit the things that they yeah, need to say. pull it back into script. Yeah. yeah. I generally would say that, that improvisation are the type of presentations that people like the most. Like there's no lectern. They wander around the stage. They don't need any kind of tools to help them. Mm-hmm. They know it. They can, they can make jokes and quips as they go along. Those are generally the most entertaining from my standpoint. Yeah. But the ones that I think that I see the most often that I view with success are the ones right before that, the extemporaneous, which basically means it's a combination of, I know my material so well, and I've give this presentation enough in some format or something similar to what I'm talking about. I can be a little improvisational about it. And I can still kind of stick on script so I don't roll over my allotted time. I see what you're saying. So That's a fairly difficult thing to do, actually. That takes a lot of practice. Really, all these just come down to practice. I also would say that whether we talk about it now or if we come back, circle back around on it, is choosing the presentation format that's based on like the audience that you're going to be speaking to. So let's say that you choose your presentation based on like... I'll say the last presentation I get, I gave probably had about 60 people in the room. Mm-hmm. Not a huge room. Yeah, that's not too bad. Yeah, that didn't phase me in the slightest anymore. But one of the first things I do is I'll ask a question of the audience. Something just to move them. Something for them to use their vocal cords. I know that other people do this to me and I ignore them. Partly because I know why they're doing it. Yes. But I also think sometimes they go, is everybody having a good time this morning? Yeah. You go, yeah, people go, what? I can't hear you. And they're waving their arms. Is everybody, you know, no, dude, I'm out. It's come on. Yeah. 
at least at a conference or convention or something, you're like, no. I just, I don't want to be that guy. But I will ask people, I'll say, hey, so here's who I am. This is why I'm here. So if you're not, if you got on the wrong bus, here's your chance. <laughs> Leave the room. I said, but has anybody ever heard of me or my website? Quick show of hands. And people will raise their hands, ranging from zero to everybody. And then I can go from there. And normally I have a joke. Like if a bunch of people raise their hands, I usually say something along the lines of, well, dang it, I was going to make everything up because nobody would have known that I was lying. You know, something that just right out of the gate comes off of that. Yeah. Lighten everybody up. Say, you know, it's okay for you to move around. It's okay for you to, like, if you want to interrupt me, feel free. I mean, I'll tell people that a lot of times when I'm giving them a presentation. And, and if it's a small enough room. Yeah, if it's a small enough room. I don't mean like it. five. I mean, for me, no. 60. Yeah, if it's okay. 60 people or less, I'll say, look, if something jumps up, just go ahead and shout it out. Because I know this information so well, I can circle back around to it. I mean, I've gotten to that point if I'm talking about social media or my digital footprint or why that's good or what's bad. Or Nowadays, I'll write a presentation. I'll say, this is the presentation that I'm giving this year. And I'll tweak it a little bit. But essentially, not, you know, 90% of it's the same every mm -hmm. single time. Since I do know all this information and everyone I give now is some variation of something I've already done, I get to the improvisational level pretty quick. But the last presentation I give of a year of a particular one, it's, I can do, it's Wild West. <laughs> it's true improvisation yeah it's to the it's point i'll go i'll go you know what this is boring i don't want to talk about this anymore if you guys are interested in this just let me know and we might make something more fun it kind of it really does depend i mean i can respond to the audience a little bit and go it's early in the day they're tired they're kind of blah or it's the end of the day they're already thinking about going to the hotel lobby bar and having yeah. a drink Doing you know something else, yeah. and i will try to adjust my presentation based on the temperature of the room so speaking of the size of the room, this is a big deal for me. And I think it should be on everyone's radar screen at some level is to project yourself. You need to make yourself heard, but don't yell. Project your voice towards the back row unless you're in a huge room and you have to use a mic. And then I'd also say some of the bigger rooms that I've been in, and this isn't applicable to everybody because I don't know if everyone's going to talk to 150 people. Find the light. Stand in the light. Oh, yeah. I do some moving around, but I make a lot of facial expressions. I, I mean, I tell a lot of jokes during my presentations. There's a lot of laughing. Yeah. There is a lot of laughing. I like having a good time. But if you can't see my face, it's not that great. I mean, it's just like this body talking in the ether. I want people to see me when I'm presenting, even though I have visuals on the wall. Yeah. And I know that when I've gone to student reviews, sometimes the students stand off to the side and they're just talking and, you know, the people who are reviewing it are looking at the drawings. And there's a reason why that needs to be because, you know, you only got six linear feet and you've got three people sitting in front of it. And if you're standing in front of your drawings, I can't see what you're pointing at. Yes. But people don't always figure that out. They'll go stand in front of their drawings so they can point and half the people who are reviewing their project can't see, can't see what they're talking about. Yeah. You know what I always wanted when, when I first started doing this, I wanted to get to the point to where. Like, I don't, I don't have a problem not using a mic, but I kind of wanted a mic as a prop. Oh, yeah. So I could, if I was saying something, and I wanted to make a joke. You know, like, I could use the mic in the way that... All that stuff works, yeah. Yeah, you know, like... How you can manipulate your own audio. Yeah, while I'm talking. I was like, does anybody read the site? No. <laughs> Nobody does. Exactly. And if it's nice, you can pick it up. You can't get away with it. On you can't your, shout that. On the voice, yeah. It just doesn't work. I know. I don't love it. Yeah. But I do wish I'd kind of know how to do it because I've practiced. That's something I have practiced. Even doing this podcast here, it's something I, I try to work in in some ways because I think it's better. I like it.
just using the mic yeah. as, as a gag. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, like you've done it. Oh, yeah, I know. I've it's gotten a, up to go good... get a drink and you lean in and you start, know, you exactly. start narrating what I'm doing. That's how it goes. Yeah. That, that's the joy of a microphone. <laughs> hey, listener, I've got a secret for you. Yeah. See? Right. If I'm just talking like this and I go, hey, man, I'm just between you and me, it's a little something extra for you. Yeah. It's not the same thing. And I go, hey, just between you and me. Here's a little something extra for you. See, yeah, that's what does it. <laughs> I, know, I know. It's the, a secret. The it mics al- are fun. It allows you to connect with the, your audience yeah, differently, I, I would think. Yeah, it's hard Is to it? create subtext when you can't do that. I know. You know. Isn't that right, listener? <laughs> it's your own secret subtitle. This is just between you and me. Exactly. Nobody else. What, yeah. we, what, it, what we have is special. I'm talking down here because Bob can't hear me. <laughs> that's right. So despite all these straightforward tips and techniques, which are very straightforward, most people only follow a few of them. My biggest fear when speaking in front of a group of people falls in line with what I think everybody fears, and that is embarrassing yourself in front of other folks. I've come to accept that my obvious shortcomings are simply aspects of my personality, and those traits don't always find a receptive audience. I know that I am probably the least mature 50-year-old guy you'll ever meet. No argument here. None whatsoever. Yeah. You know, and I've come to embrace it. But some people, they're so serious and they're just like, they want you to think, they're like, wow, he's impressive because he doesn't ever goof off. He never smiles. He must be very smart. Yeah. The professor. Exactly. I go, I'm not that guy. And I I guarantee you, if we like march people from my office in here, they'll say, he's kind of a jerk a lot of times, but when he's not, he's really not, (laughs) right? It's it's either end of the spectrum. He's not a jerk, but he's fun, so. And the things I'm a jerk about, it's like, do a better job. (laughs) And that could be me. That's that's so easy. Well, it's just like with the barbecue. I know. It doesn't matter that everybody thinks it's fine. I I don't think it's fine. And you're going to do better. Push everybody out. Everyone, the rising tide lifts all boat. My personality actually trends towards public speaking in a very large capacity simply because I like to tell stories. All you got to do is ask anyone who's ever met me. And subsequently, I tend to use those stories or make up my stories to get my point across. And this manner of presenting is far more entertaining than reading facts and figures verbatim from a PowerPoint slide presentation. The thing that literally me, my, my, my. nobody should ever do. The worst. I do have one glaring problem or issue that I struggle with. Well, actually, I have a lot, but I'm only going to talk about one. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one that this pertains to the, presentations. That's right. <laughs> and it's ironic about what I'm about to say, and that is talking too much and knowing when to stop. <laughs> <laughs> the irony there is this one is last because not something Mr. Borson has mastered. Well, that's partially true. (laughs) Well, we had people over for a nice evening last night. Yeah. And I'm looking at people going, they want to leave. But everyone's still having so much fun that they're like, I don't want to be the first one to leave. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And I'm I'm going, I need to to shut it down. And I was, it was about 11 o'clock and I thought, I'm going to shut this down. And when I did, it was like 1230. (laughs) Exactly. I'm going to start winding down. Oh. And, you know, another bottle of wine opens up. So Four hours later. Yeah. Well, so we're going to talk about what I call adios muchachos. And this really has to do with when you're done, be done. Don't rattle on. Yes. I, I feel so hypocritical 
Well, you should. Giving this advice. But it's okay. But you know what? But you, it's no. advice that you want to take. So yeah. It's okay. I'm, I'm aware of it. I just need yeah. more practice. But here's one thing that I think I am extremely good at. So it's if you have 20 minutes allocated for your presentation or 45 or whatever the case may be, you need to plan on filling slightly less than that. Yes. Right? So if I have a 30-minute window to present, I'll plan for about 25 minutes. Yes. If it's an hour, I'll plan for around 50 minutes. There's always some scale at which I will pull short because I know that I'm going to embellish things. Mm -hmm. I know that I'm going to add, I don't add a lot of ahs and ums when I speak, but I will tell a story and then interrupt myself in that story to interject another story. And then I have to remember to circle back to the story that I interrupted myself on. As your editor, I know this. (laughs) Yeah, but you know, it's what makes the presentations entertaining. (laughs) But the point of that is I know that I do that. That is a, I won't necessarily call it a shortcoming, but it's something that is inherent to who I am. And as a result, I build in that occurrence happening in my presentations. Yeah, I would say that you need to build it in no matter what. Yeah. Because you tend to elaborate, but you may, if you're not really good at it, or this is your first few presentations, you might stumble, you might hesitate. I mean, there's, and there's all Oz kinds and, of... Oz and ums. All kinds of ways of to lose time. So... Never plan to fill up the whole time. You need to plan on trying to run short because nobody will care if you run short, but everybody hates the person who runs long. Don't run long. long. I do this. I even have slides. I go, if it looks like you're going to run long, instead of just speeding up and trying to blast through your slides quicker to where everything is of little to no value at this point because you're just blasting through it, just chop off a couple of pieces and say, this is important, but I'd rather talk about this with the time we have remaining and go to the next chunk. Don't fast forward through everything. Skip to the next part. Yeah, it's really important to try to maintain a conversational tone when you're presenting to people. And if you just start rapid fire, well, there's this and there's this and this and da 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 da, da and go for yeah, it fast. Bullet, bullet, bullet point, bullet Don't do point, that. Bullet point. But you have to know your presentation well enough. So on my phone, like I'm doing it right now as we're recording, I have my phone turned on and I have the timer running. Yeah, And so it always tells me, I'm looking down at this and I can say, oh, we've been talking for this long. I either need to skip ahead in my notes or I need to embellish it a little bit more. The same thing happens in presentations. I don't think I did any presentations, I mean, other than school stuff before I could have my phone or I, actually I take that back. I would used to put my watch up oh, yeah? on something so I could see, keep time while I was speaking. I never wore a watch. Wow. So I'm going to kind of wrap this up, kind of put a bow on it. Because really, we talked about these tips and techniques and silos. I'm going to kind of go through them again real quick, high level. So stage presence, which is try to be comfortable in your own body. Just get used to being where you're going to be. Go check out the room you're going to talk in, too. Mm -hmm. That helps. If you can. Motivation, which is essentially you need to know what the objective of your presentation is. Because it might not be just to deliver the information that's in the content. There might be like a summary to the whole thing. Kind of like what we're doing right now. Exactly. Isn't that right, listeners? Mm-hmm. <laughs> knowing your topic. So this has to do with sincerity and knowing your information so well that it allows you to have an ebb and flow that feels more natural and conversational during your presentation. And to not that you have to know everything about your thing, but most things. You don't have to know all 100. You just need to know 10, but you need to know them really well. Really well. You're supposed right. to be the pro here. How to present. And that's when we talked a little bit about, do you write it? Do you memorize it? Do you have an outline? Is it extemporaneous or is it improvisational? And that's also where we talked about 
guiding it to your audience size and the scale of your audience. Figure out who you're talking to, the room size, yeah. and then go from there. And then project yourself, which has to do with how you speak to the people you're presenting to. Is it soft? Is it loud? Is it magnified through the use of a microphone? And all those things have an effect. Is it five people, 20 people, yeah. 250 people? Yeah, I've actually, it was a while ago, but I gave a presentation and there were only like 30 people in the room. I think most of those people signed up for it, but I'm trying to remember what it was. Maybe it was at a AIA lunch and learn for Austin or something like that. And there was a good showing for a lunch and learn at a, an AIA component, mm -hmm. but it wasn't a lot of people. And I was like, we don't need a mic. Like, I don't need a mic for this room. Just turn the mic off. The mic's actually just going to make it harder. Yeah. Well, it's going to be blasting in some, somebody's ear by the mic. And then I, I just don't like it. I mean, I like mics, but I won't use a mic if there's 30 people in the room. And then we end up having, knowing when to get off, what I call the adios muchachos. Ready to wrap it all up. Yeah, work your presentation to take less time than you're allocated. So therefore, if you do have massive run-on sentences. Or lots know, of commas. Or lots of commas. And pauses. And ahs and ums, that you're not going to run over your time. Exactly. Nobody likes that. That's what they'll remember about your presentations, how you couldn't stay on time. That's bad. Yes. All right, here we go. And we haven't done this one in a while, but I think it's a good one to hit on for this week. And it's in my spare time. My spare time. In my spare time. I think I hit those notes. Ching. Same ones every time. Yeah. I think maybe it, I need to change that up a little bit. What? I need to change up my. Oh, you mean to do it in the editing? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, Andrew, your spare time. My spare time is filled with sport these days. Your sport? No, not my sport. My oldest daughter is into club volleyball. And so that means at least two weekends a month, I am volleyballing at some sort of tournament somewhere away from home. So lots of driving, not long driving, but you know, Austin, Houston, mostly Houston from where I'm at. Yeah. But I was up here this weekend for one, a big tournament. Up here so, in Dallas. In Dallas, yes. And they have it at the convention center. There was 125 courts of volleyball. Oh, it sounds like too much volleyball. Simultaneously. All this pounding and squeaking and, of shoes. Well, and... but then yelling and squealing and screaming and everything else, because that's just how they are. They're so loud. Sometimes I try to do it with my headphones in and just leave them in. <laughs> and so, I mean, I put music to it. A little to, book, book on tape. To cover it or something, right? To kind of help right. drown the sound. But then you, you know, I'm ignoring all the other parents and they think I'm a jerk. So I just kind of, I have to not do that. But if you're in there for a full, really long day, it'll give you a headache. So, like, you go to the convention center or whatever, the sportatorium. Sure. And your daughter has to get there X hours before their first thing because mm -hmm. that's just how it goes. Yep. And then they have their game, and then they sit around for X hours because you don't drive to Dallas or Houston or Austin and play one game. So, there's another game at some point. Yes. Yeah, it was so a you, tournament. So, you might find yourself inside the sportatorium for eight, eight hours. Eight hours. Yeah. So, what do you, do you just, like, eat nachos and hot dogs? guy, <laughs> you just sit around. If you're lucky, they have Wi-Fi and you can do some stuff. But otherwise, yeah, you just sort of waste time. You watch more volleyball that you, your kid isn't playing. Did you buy or have you bought one of those like bench pads with the back on it? No, I haven't. You sit on a bleacher the whole time? No, there's typically there's chairs. They're not bad. The padded folding chairs of some kind or depending upon some places. You're not, you're, wait, wait, wait. So you're not up against stands watching no. these games? No. You're so like on the court. It's like if you think of courtside seats, that's how they are. Oh, okay. Like a couple of rows around the entire court. Well, on three sides of the court. So like some giant guy could sit in front of you and like, hey, bro, I can't see my daughter. Can you? Well, like yeah, but this weekend there was only one row, so it was fine. Nobody's sitting in front of me. I'm sitting with my feet on the court. 
so you can hear it all. Because if you're not, you really can't tell where the whistle's coming from. Because <laughs> there's 15 whistles going off yeah. on the 15 courts that are around you. And yeah. it's like, wait, is that the one? Is that come out of the guy standing up here or some other place? Well, it doesn't sound bad. It's good. I mean, I wouldn't do it if I didn't love my daughter, but that's what so, you do. I, but, but really, you're telling a story, and the questions going through my mind are, was your daughter any good, or is this a club team? It's like, so did you eat a hot dog, or did, or, or did you eat nachos, <laughs> or both? Or if, no, they got a pop, they got popcorn. Popcorn for eight, eight hours? Are you? It was popcorn? No, oh, no, I had no, I, I was popcorn. Really? God, <laughs> yeah. that sounds terrible. Do you? It break? wasn't. I wasn't there for eight hours this, this time though. It was three days for about you know four or five hours a day. <sighs> that sounds terrible. Do you ever bring snacks with you? Oh yeah. Well, the girls get to bring snacks in their backpacks. Don't the mom and dads get to bring? snacks? And, 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 sometimes and, it just depends how sneaky you are. Oh, because you're not supposed to? Yeah, you're not supposed to. I mean, because, you know, it's like everything else. They want to sell you their stuff so they can make money at the concessions and all that junk. I would be that guy that eats hot dog and nachos. They have them. Out of boredom, most likely. Because it's not like nachos. I mean, if I make nachos, they're great. Yeah. Because it's just cheese melted on it. It's not poured. Yeah, well, yeah, it's not cheese and water and some other thing all congealed together. And then warmed up. Mmm, it's so good. Yeah, what have you been doing in your spare time? Most recently, more barbecuing. I had a friend come into town, and he's looking to buy an airplane. Not like a jet, a prop plane. Oh, okay. So he, he lives up in Seattle, and apparently this is a hotbed for, for buying prop planes down here. In Texas? Yeah, actually Ar- Arlington, which I didn't even know had an airport, Arlington, Texas. So he came down, and he's good friends with my sister. And they're always commenting that in Seattle there's no good barbecue. So they're always trying to get me to cook barbecue for that. all the time. And so... I asked him, I said, so what do you want me to make? You want me to make a brisket, which I practice fairly often at making briskets. Mm-hmm. I mean, I maybe only made like less than 15 in my life, but I'm kind of neurotic about what was the temperature? How did I do this? What's my technique? You know, try to get it to where it can be good. Competition worthy is where you're headed. That's right. Yeah. I want mine to be the best that anyone's ever eaten. That's how I want this to go. And they're, they're all hit and miss. Sometimes they're pretty good. Yeah. Like once or twice, they've been like great. Really good. A couple of times they've been okay. And then probably 50% of the time, really just need to chop them up and turn it into soup or something. <laughs> <laughs> they're just not, the flavor's okay, but they're dry or they've been, you know, I told everyone last night, I made one for, we had a bunch of friends over last night. We had six people over and I thought I should have just kept it on the smoker and turned it into beef jerky at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it looked good. And they're all like, no, it's great. You're crazy. You're hard on yourself. And I'm like, you got more water. I was like, I know what dry is, right? You're just being nice. Yeah. But one of the things I did do, and I'll put this in the show notes because this was amazing. I've never cooked pork belly before, which is basically bacon. I read this thing that you could make burnt and juicing pork belly. And I thought, I'm going to give that a go. Give that a shot. And man, let me tell you. They were amazing. Nice. I saw some of it on your Instagram. I saved a couple so you could try it if you wanted. Oh, all right. Look at that. Yeah. Thinking about me. I know. I saved like six. If you ate six, you'd go like, dude, I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> They're really rich. But the thing that's crazy is while they they look fatty, have you ever baked bacon in the oven? Yeah. Right? Like thick cut bacon. So it, it doesn't curl up. It, it cooks flat. Flat. Kinda, and when it's yeah. thick cut. Like enough fat renders out of the fat that it doesn't taste like fat anymore. Yeah, it tastes like ba- more like bacon. Yeah, part, I mean, yes. Yeah, and it has a mouthfeel yes. that's not like you're like bit yeah. into raw fat. That's just like so gross. Yeah, 
Well, that's what these pork, I mean, there's like, you know, a quarter inch layer of, of bacon fat and you smoke it and it cooks it down and they probably reduced in size by half. I made them and I was like, this could be gross. And I'll pop them in my mouth. And I was like, they are not, or they could be awesome. They can be the best thing ever. And the people we had over, I thought these are all, was this organically sourced, you know, from, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> well, yeah. there might've been a little bit of that going on. And I thought they're going to turn their nose up at these pork belly because it's not like you can't see. Yeah. That fat. It's just fat. Yeah. That it's big fat. And the one I was worried about the most, she just reached over and I was like, I go, you don't have to eat them if you don't want them. And she goes, no, I blop, tossed the whole thing in her mouth. It was a big bite. <laughs> like it was a piece of M&M. Yeah. If, if an M&M was like two inches cubed. <laughs> And she's like, wow, those are amazing. And it's like, see, that's what I've been doing. I've been working on my barbecue game. Yeah. Trying to step it up because I don't like it to uh, stagnate. Well, here's the thing. I can make pork butts every time. Perfect. I go, it's, it's impossible for that to get screwed up. If someone screws up a pork butt, they have no idea what they're doing. Ribs, not too hard either. I can cook a, I can deliver a solid rib. Yeah. Brisket. I'm like shooting in the 30 percentile of it being <laughs> really good it's an art form i know it takes more practice than what i've been able to put at it because it's not like it's cheap the brisket i bought was like 55 dollars, yeah, and i is. burnt 20 dollars worth of wood cooking it yeah and then i was like this is beef jerky <laughs> it's hard to motivate yourself for you to spend another 70 bucks or 80 bucks you had to, to do make it. a well that's part of the reason why i had all these people over so i was like well i'm not going to cook a 15 pound brisket for three people It'll so let's work. let's invite a bunch of people and they're all like We'll be your guinea pigs anytime you want to do this. Yeah. So they're very gracious, but I'm telling you, if you didn't know it was a thing, I'm telling you it's a thing. Pork belly burnt ends. I Change your life. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping. Yeah. Well, you're going to find out. I told I said I'm going to find out in a minute. You're going to find out in just a minute. Yeah. So, okay. I'm going to call that a wrap. Thank you for being with us today for episode 24, Presentations. If you like today's episode... You can find it in your heart. Please take the next 30 seconds and head on over to iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast so you can get fresh new episodes automatically downloaded to your podcast player of choice. While you're there, please leave us some feedback because we'd like to hear what your thoughts are on the show and a five-star standing ovation rating. If iTunes isn't your player of choice, we're on a bunch of others. They're all free and all you got to do is hit the subscribe button on your podcast listening app of choice. Be sure to visit the original lifeofanarchitect.com for show notes, links, info, and photos from the episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Cheers. Take it easy, everybody. And today we are talking about standing up and talking. That's, apparently we're not talking about writing. <laughs> today we're talking about talking about talking. Let me turn on the clock. Okay, world clock. Hey, secret. (laughs) I have come to accept. Terrible segue. Hey, listener, that was a bad segue. No one knows but you and me. Hello, I'm Mr. Tide. (laughs) You boats better (laughs) get it in gear. That's so cocky. Rising tide lists all boats. Hi, my name is Mr. Tide. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. And, so gonna, and using the mic. And using the mic. Project yourself. For I just Project yourself. Da, 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 da. Sorry. That's a good one. It was, it's what I kept thinking bum, of. Bum, 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 da, da, da. Project yourself. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs>